Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Reader's Digest recently published an article, in fact, to the, towards the end of last year, with the longest title in human history. It was called The 60 Most Ridiculous Excuses People Use to Get Out of Work. And some of them really stood out, and I want to share a few of them with you this morning. The employee couldn't come to work because a cow broke into her house, and she had to wait for the insurance company to assess the damage. The employee couldn't come to work because his dog was stressed out after a family reunion. The employee couldn't come to work because his wife found out he was cheating, and he had to spend the day retrieving his belongings from a dumpster. Now, that one sounds legit. How's this one? The employee broke his arm when he reached out to grab a falling sandwich. The employee couldn't come to work because she accidentally got on a plane. I'm not quite sure how that happens. The employee couldn't come to work because they woke up in a good mood and didn't want to ruin it. (laughs) Try telling your boss that one. And then the employee didn't come to work because he forgot he was hired for the job. Isn't it funny how ridiculous excuses sound when we hear other people making them, but when we say them, they sound so plausible. In fact, we live in a world full of excuses. I've noticed that many of the so-called inspirational posts on social media are about excusing ourselves. Oh, you know, it's okay to feel that way, and, and don't be so hard on yourself. And if something's hard to do, well, just quit because it's probably better for your mental health. Now, I don't know about you, but sitting in the morning traffic is not good for my mental health, but I have to do it anyway. I have to enlarge my capacity instead of making an excuse. Told you I've got a challenging word on my heart. In fact, human beings, we're always looking to excuse our sinful nature. When there's crime or there's looting, whether it's in our own nation or across the world, we want to excuse it by saying it's because of hunger or inequality. Now, hunger exists There is most definitely inequality in our world, but how many of you know crime occurs at every level of society? There are wealthy CEOs who steal money from companies. There are government officials who earn good salaries, 110,000 rand a month, who are still corrupt and who still do dodgy dealings. People steal from their companies and then they blame them, oh yeah, they should have paid me more. No, no, crime is not a, a hunger issue or an inequality issue, it's a sin issue. I was reading about a 70-year-old man in South Wales called Andrew Williams who strangled his wife to death five days into the UK lockdown. Not five months, five days. Williams strangled his wife Ruth at their home after a period of feeling depressed and anxious about the lockdown, and he later told police that he literally choked the living daylights out of her. He said he snapped and began strangling his wife in their bed when they woke up in the morning. After he shared his feelings with her, he told her, you know, I'm so frustrated and I'm so angry and I'm so depressed about COVID. And she, like many wives, she told him to get over it. (laughs) Well, listen to this. The court bought his excuse that he was angry and frustrated and, and depressed about COVID and they cleared him of her murder. How many of you know the lockdown has taken its toll on all of us, but that's no excuse to commit murder, amen? No matter how close you came during those first few weeks 
of the hard lockdown. But it's not surprising because excuses have existed since the beginning of human history. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't say, Lord, forgive us, we blundered, what can we do? No, Adam said it was the woman. In fact, he said it was the woman you gave me. So he blamed Eve and he blamed the Lord. Eve said, well, it was the snake. And as we all know, the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. Moses made excuses as to why God couldn't, you know, why he couldn't do what God was calling him to do. He said, I don't have the ability. God said, I will be with you. He said, I don't have the authority. God said, I'm sending you. He said, I don't know what to say. God said, tell them that I sent you. He said, I'm not a good speaker. He said, take your brother Aaron with you. Then in Exodus 4.13, Moses says, Lord, please just send someone else. Well, as we know, Moses did go, and he led the Israelites out of slavery. Then he goes up the mountain. He has an encounter with the living God. He comes down with the Ten Commandments, and he discovers that his brother Aaron has made a false idol for the people to worship. He says to Aaron, why have you done this terrible thing? Aaron doesn't say, listen, bro, you were up there for a long time. We didn't know when you were coming back. You know, you know what people are like. They were giving me a hard time, and they were badgering me. So, No, he says, you'll never guess. I took the gold. I threw it into the fire, and out popped a golden calf. It's a miracle. Excuses. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable of the talents where three servants were given money. One of them took that money and he buried it in the ground. And when his master said, why have you done this? Why haven't you multiplied the gift I gave you? He said, master, I knew you were a hard man. So I buried it in the ground. Jesus told people to follow him and, and some people made excuses. One said, well, you know, when my father's dead and I bury him, then I'll follow you. Another said, you know, let me just first go home and watch a few seasons on Netflix and chill with my family and, and then I'll say goodbye to them and then I'll follow you. And all throughout scripture, people make excuses. We all make excuses at times, but if you and I are going to see growth in our personal lives, if we're going to see growth in our spiritual lives this year, we need to overcome and break free from the excuses that are holding us back. And so today, I want to speak to you about excuses, and I've called the message, No Excuse. Because as followers of Christ, we must have no excuse when it comes to taking another step with God, and when it comes to making progress in our personal lives. I believe that many of us are not where we need to be spiritually, not where God wants us to be spiritually, because it's easier to make an excuse than it is to step up and step out. You know, after two years of lockdown where complacency and apathy and a loss of momentum have become commonplace, many people are saying, you know, don't ask too much of me, you know, it's still COVID. Now, I think we need to begin to break free from our excuses and get on with the good work that God has for us. We've got some rebuilding to do, amen? That's the theme for our church this year. That's the theme for our lives. But that rebuilding cannot take place if you and I don't know how to overcome and break free from our excuses. So let's look at a few reasons why we make excuses as we set up the message. And then we're going to read a passage of Scripture, one of the miracles of Jesus, and we're going to draw out some keys. Are you ready? Time ticketh exceedingly quicketh. First reason why we make excuses is because of dishonesty. When we don't want to do what we said we would do. When you don't feel like going to that bride that you already committed to and you said you'd bring a salad or a dessert... What do we do? We make an excuse. Oh, you know, I'm not feeling 100%. I think I might have come into contact with someone who's COVID positive. You know, the kids are really tired. I've been working late at work. Just look straight ahead this morning. In his book, Something Else to Smile About, Zig Ziglar, the, the author and speaker, tells a story that, that his brother, Judge Ziglar, used to tell 
about a man who went next door to borrow his neighbor's lawnmower. Well, the neighbor explained that he couldn't allow him to use the lawnmower because all the flights from New York to LA had been canceled. Well, the man said, what do canceled flights from New York to LA have to do with me borrowing your lawnmower? The man said, it's got nothing to do with you borrowing my lawnmower, but if I don't want you to use it, one excuse is as good as another. <laughs> Isn't it weird how we seldom say, you know what, I know I said I was coming, but I don't actually feel like it anymore. Please don't hate me, but actually I don't want to spend time with you today. I want to be by myself. No, that would be rude. So instead, we develop a pattern of making excuses, and when we boil it down, it's actually just being dishonest. Second reason why we make excuses is to avoid embarrassment. We often make excuses when we are embarrassed about our failures or our, our mishaps. We make excuses as to why we haven't achieved certain things or, or as to why our lives are a certain way. In their book, Why Men Are Clueless and Women Always Need More Shoes, which I think is a true statement, although I think men also need more shoes at times, Alan and Barbara Pease said this. They said, the phrase, I'll try, is frequently used by people who are habitual underachievers and failures to announce in advance that they probably won't succeed at a task or even that they expect to fail. How many of you know, I'll try is code for I won't. Well, will you be coming to church this weekend? I'll try. Third reason why we make excuses is when we face difficulties. When the task at hand is, is difficult or it's going to require a lot of effort, maybe it's, it's getting into shape or it's sorting out your finances or, or, or relationships with other people or your relationship with God. We can make excuses as to why we can't. Oh, I don't have the time. You know, I've got a thyroid problem. No, the devil got in. I love Adam Sasinki, who's a, a life coach. I love his definition of excuses. He says, excuses are rationalizations we make to ourselves about people, events, and circumstances. They are invented reasons. In other words, they are lies we create to defend our behavior, to postpone taking action, or simply as a means of neglecting responsibility. Now, at times, there are valid reasons why we can't do certain things, but I think a lot of the time when things get hard, when the going gets tough, we can invent reasons why we shouldn't do what we know we ought to do. Fourth reason that we make excuses, I hope you're being helped, is that at times we have no real desire to grow. When you and I are unwilling to grow or improve our lives, we can make excuses. Arlen Price was an author who said, where the heart is willing, it will find a thousand ways. But where the heart is unwilling, it will find a thousand excuses. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir in this room because you're all here today, but isn't it funny how on a Saturday night and an early Sunday morning we can find a thousand reasons why we shouldn't come to church? In fact, I was reading about a husband and wife who woke up one Sunday morning and they got ready for church as they normally did. Well, the wife did. She got up and she got dressed. She noticed her husband was still in bed at the time they were supposed to leave for church. She said to him, why aren't you getting up and getting ready? He said, because I don't want to go. She said, well, do you have any good reasons for not going to church? She said, yes, I have three reasons. Firstly, the congregation is cold. Secondly, nobody likes me there. And thirdly, I just don't want to go. Well, she replied with great wisdom, and she said, honey, I have three good reasons why you should go. Firstly, the congregation is actually warm. 
Secondly, there are a few people there who like you. And thirdly, you're the pastor. So get up, get dressed, and get going. Number five, fifth reason why we make excuses is because at times there is a lack of purpose in our lives. When we don't know where we're going or what we're meant to do, we can excuse our lack of progress. Stephen Graham is a writer, director, and actor who said excuses are the tools with which persons with no purpose in view build for themselves great monuments of nothing. Listen, if the tools we use to build our personal lives or to build our spiritual lives are going to be excuses, how many of you know it's not going to amount to very much? Great monuments of nothing. We can come up with all the excuses in the world. We can fool other people. We can even fool ourselves. But how many of you know God sees through even our most elaborate excuses? In fact, in Hebrews 4.13, it says he knows about everyone everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. It's quite a scary thought. Nothing can be hidden from him to whom we must explain all that we have done. We make excuses as to why we aren't right with the Lord. We make excuses as to why we don't have friends. Down in Belito, people often blame the church because it's very hard to, to make friends down there, very clicky. Oh, you know, the church, you should provide more social gatherings. Some people treat the church like a social club. We make excuses as to why we don't have a better job or a better financial situation or, or as to why we aren't seeing victory. But if we ever want anything to improve, we have to look at our lives and our situations and say, no excuse, I'm going to move forward in Jesus' name. And I really want us to catch something today, church. I really want us to catch something and break free from the excuses that have held us back. You know, a message like this can apply to every area of our lives, but my biggest concern today is, is with our spiritual condition. We should not be sitting in church week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, and not seeing any change. We should always be moving forward in Jesus' name. Now, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture. We're going to see a man who made excuses as to why he wasn't making any progress, and as a result, he hadn't moved forward in almost 40 years. We're going to read a couple of verses at a time. We're going to unpack and make some notes, and then we're going to draw out some key points. Are you ready? Are you ready up in the balcony? Are you ready at home? I think they said amen. John 5, reading from verse 1, it says, Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish religious holidays. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was Bethesda Pool with five covered platforms or porches surrounding it. Crowds of sick folks, lame, blind, or with paralyzed limbs. How many of you know we're not meant to be lame, blind, or paralyzed spiritually? Lay on the platforms waiting for a certain movement of the water. People believed that an angel would come down and periodically stir up that water, and when the water moved, if you got in first, you were healed. It was a widely held superstition. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, because Jesus sees the many, but he also sees the one, amen? When Jesus saw him and knew how long he had been ill, he asked him, would you like to get well? And the man said, yes, brilliant. I've been waiting 38 years for someone to ask me that. Is that what he said? No. Verse 7, I can't, the sick man said, for I have no one to help me into the pool at the movement of the water. While I'm trying to get there, someone else always gets in ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, roll up your sleeping mat, 
and go on home. Another translation says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his mat and began walking. That day happened to be the Sabbath. The Jews, that's the, the Jewish leaders, stopped the healed, healed man and said, wow, this is amazing. You healed after all this time. It's a miracle. No, they didn't. They said, it's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the rules. But he told them, the man who made me well told me to. He said, take your bedroll and start walking. They asked, who gave you the order to take it up and start walking? But the healed man didn't know, for Jesus had slipped into the crowd. A little later, Jesus found him in the temple and said, you look wonderful. You're well. Don't return to a sinning life or something worse might happen. Another translation says, don't return to your old ways. In other words, your, your old way of thinking, your old way of life. The man went back and told the Jews, the leaders, that it was Jesus who made him well. That is why the Jews were out to get Jesus, because he did this kind of thing on the Sabbath. Let's look at some things from this passage of Scripture, some excuses that we must never make. We're going to draw out four excuses. Three of them this man verbalized, and one of them we're going to draw inspirationally from the text. They're things that we should never say, because if we do, they will keep us stuck, for, and, and instead of moving forward and becoming the people that God has called us to be. You ready? Number one, when you face difficulties or your life is in a mess or you're struggling to move forward personally or spiritually, don't say, I can't. The first thing that this man said to Jesus was, I can't. In fact, in verse 5, it says one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. That word sick, the, the King James Version uses the word infirmity. It's a word that means weakness. How many of you know we all have areas of weakness? emotional, physical, and spiritual, but we're not meant to use our weaknesses as excuses to stay stuck. Interesting that Bethesda, which means house of mercy where this man lay, had five covered porches or platforms. Five is the number of man's weakness. Verse six, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I can't, the sick man said. Never say, I can't. Rather be honest and say, I'm not willing. Because the minute you and I say that we can't, we give ourselves an easy out. Basically, what this man is saying is it's not my fault. And it's probably the biggest excuse in society today. No, it's not your fault. We want to we name, shame, and blame everybody else because it can't possibly be my fault. It can't be my fault that my marriage is in a mess. It must be my spouse. It can't be my fault that I got fired. It must be my boss. It can't be my fault that I'm unsuccessful. It must be the government. It can't be my fault that I'm not right with the Lord. It must be the preaching that they do there at Rivers Church. Oswald Chambers, the great Scottish evangelist, said, beware of saying I haven't time to read the Bible and pray. Rather say I haven't disciplined myself to do these things. In other words, don't make excuses as to why you can't pray, as to why you can't get right with the Lord, because as long as you've got an excuse, you won't make progress. Perhaps this man had some desire to be healed, and that's why he was there at this healing pool. You might be here this morning and you've got some desire 
to connect with God. You've got some desire to see your life change. But when you encounter Jesus and the hard stuff that he wants to do in your life, you begin to make excuses. No, 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 I can't change right now. No, I can't partner with the church. I've got a, a lot going on. No, I can't serve. I can't get baptized. I can't respond to Jesus. I can't give. You know, I can't read the word and pray on a daily basis. I can't stop drinking. I can't control my thought life. I can't get my finances in order. I can't control my temper. So I won't even try. And I've discovered that many people actually don't want to be healed. They like the idea of being healed. They, they like the idea of being set free, but they don't really want divine help for their problems because they're comfortable in their weakness. And so instead, they say, I can't. That's why Jesus asked the question. He goes to a man who's at a healing pool, and he says, do you want to be healed? It's like, duh, Jesus. I'm like, I'm at Bethesda. Well, you've been there for 38 years without a breakthrough. And I think it's a good question for us to ask ourselves. We're here, we're in church, we've been coming for six months, we've been coming for six years, we've been coming for 20 years, we serve, we've been baptized, but do we really want to be made well? See, when you and I convince ourselves that we can't, Jesus can be right in front of us and nothing will change. Let, let me say this, don't convince yourself or tell yourself that you are the exception when it comes to the power of God. Because this is something that we do all the time. Oh, you know, I, I believe in healing. I believe that God wants to heal people. But let me tell you why my situation is different. Let me tell you why God can heal other people of alcoholism, but not me. Because, you know, it started way back when with my great-great-grandfather. He was an alcoholic, and then my grandfather. And then, sure, my dad, he used to put them back here. Now, I also drink. And let me tell you, it's a generational curse, and it's just part of our DNA. Oh, I believe God wants us to be successful. I believe he wants us to go ahead in life, but let me tell you why I can't. Let me tell you why I'm unsuccessful, because, you know, I worked for this company years ago, and they snubbed me. They, they promoted someone who was younger and less experienced than me, and then, listen, I actually come from a small town, and not many people get out there, so let me tell you why God can't work in my life. Listen, there are no exceptions when it comes to the power of God. There are only the excuses that we put in its way. There are only the excuses that we put in its way. Do you want to be healed, Jesus said. No, I can't, the man said, and that's an excuse that you and I should never make. Number two, I hope you're being helped. Second excuse that we shouldn't make is this. Don't say no one will help me. Verse seven, the man said, I can't, for I have no one to help me into the pool at the movement of the water. The Good News translation says, I don't have anyone here to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. In other words, you can't expect me to do it. Someone else should come. They should put me in. And, and you know, at times we want to see breakthrough in our lives, but we, we often want other people to do it for us. The worship team, they, they must connect me with God. They must put me in the presence and you know, I, I, sometimes I come to church and they sing songs. And I mean, what was that second song that they sang today? I don't know that song. I wasn't here last week. That's one of our own songs, by the way. Isn't that awesome? I think it's amazing. But often we come and we want, oh, no, they must sing those songs. And I, I want to feel goosebumps. You know, it feels like the, the wings of the angels are brushing on my shoulders. It might just be the air con. But no, the worship team must put me in the presence. I can't do it for myself. Oh, no, the pastor must call me and the, the team must run after me and text me and see if I'm reading my Bible and praying. And, you know, I think the pastor should post more inspirational stuff on social media just to keep me buoyed up during the week. No, there comes a time when you and I have to stop making excuses and start taking responsibility. 
He said, there's no one here to put me in the pool. But here's the thing, this man wasn't completely paralyzed. We assume from the text that he was lame, that he didn't have the full use of his legs. So there was something that he could do for himself. He needed some help. How many of you know we all need some help? We all need other people to encourage us and come alongside us. And, and, and you know, that's why it's so important to be plugged into church. Because the Word says that we must do whatever we can to spur one another on and encourage one another. He needed some help, definitely, but he had the ability to do something for himself. I reckon after 38 years, he could have edged forward. Why, when they carried him in, didn't he say, don't don't put me there in the shadows, don't put me in the shade where it's comfortable, Just, just come and put me here on the edge. You know, then when the water's stirred up, I can just kind of roll off and fall in, and then I'll be healed. No, he didn't do that. Instead, he stays at a distance... And he adopts a victim mentality. He says, no one will help me. Listen, it's a huge problem in our world today. We're becoming victims more and more. You know, a few months ago, I saw something on social media. It was uh, that they were having National Pronouns Day in the U.S., And people were sharing their their horror stories about how hurtful it is when people don't use the correct pronouns and what's wrong with people and why can't they just be accommodating and why can't human beings just be kind. Now, I understand that these are complex issues. People have got identity issues and we all need Jesus, amen? But as I I looked at this, I thought to myself, what world do I live in? Do I live in a parallel universe? Because I don't live in a world where people are nice to one another all the time. I don't live in a world where people are kind all the time and and are accommodating of my choices. In fact, at times, people are are not very accommodating of my choice to follow Jesus. No, we're becoming victims. We're expecting from other people what they simply can't give us, and it's all in a bid to feel good about ourselves. And I want to give us just two sub-points here, because I think a victim mentality will always keep us from moving forward. So we must never say no one will help me, but we also mustn't say this. Don't say it's God's fault or God doesn't want to help me. And it's going to get very quiet in this Presbyterian church in a moment. When things go wrong in your life, when your marriage is in trouble or or you're unsuccessful at work or you're stuck in some pattern of addiction or sin, do not blame God. James 1.13 says, and remember, no one who wants to do wrong should ever say. We're talking about things that we should never say. God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else either. Temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. The message paraphrase puts it like this. It says, don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil. He's immune to it and puts evil in no one's way. Temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. In other words, don't blame God, but don't blame the devil either. It's you and me, baby. We have no one to blame, but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Has to be the message Bible. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. Yet often you and I can't own up and admit that we did it. We caused the problem. We made the bad decision. We were undisciplined, unmotivated, and unwilling to grow. In fact, never blame God when things go wrong in your life, but always give Him credit when they go right. When you see blessing, when you see success, when you see promotion, when things are good at home or in your relationships, say, thank you, Lord. And if they're all falling apart, say, thank you, Lord. 
Amen? Jesus was right in front of this lame man, yet he made excuses that no one would help him. He didn't really want to get well. Why after 38 years where he sat there, he was probably part of the furniture, most people probably just passed him by every day, why didn't he say to Jesus when Jesus asked the question, why didn't he say, Jesus, will you help me? You're taking an interest in me. No, he still tells Jesus who's right in front of him, who's fully God and fully man, no one will help me. And I think many Christians are like that. Jesus is close enough to touch. He's taking an interest in your life, even in this service But if you're too stuck in your pattern of making excuses, you won't even think to reach up and take him by the hand. I find it very interesting that Jesus didn't pander to to this man's victim mentality. He didn't say, oh, shame, how people, people, hey? How could they just not help you after all these years? Why didn't he say, Father, what's going on? Why haven't you seen this man? Why haven't you helped him? No, this is very interesting. Jesus comes into the house of mercy. It's a picture of the church, and he doesn't bring a warm fuzzy. Just in case you hear this morning, you're like, what is this message? This is hectic. No, Jesus doesn't come in and say, shame, you loved, you valued, you're awesome. No, Jesus comes into the house of mercy, and he tells this man to do what he was unable to do for 38 years. Jesus is present right here today. He knows your condition, and he wants to work in your life. Don't say God doesn't want to help me. Don't say it's God's fault. He doesn't always help us in the way that we think he should, but he is available to us if we will reach up and take him by the hand. Second sub-point this morning, don't, don't say that nobody must help, no one will help me. Don't say God doesn't want to help me, but also don't say the government must help me. And I think it's important to mention this with what's happening across the globe, what's happening in our nation, because people put their hopes and dreams in government leaders for sorting out their problems. And we see this all around the world. Psalm 118 and verse 9 says, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. God's word translation in a world where many people want to be influencers says it's better to depend on the Lord than to put your trust in influential people. Now, princes and kings and influential people are important, and as followers of Christ, we are called to be those people. Amen? But what the Word is saying is, first and foremost, put your hope and your trust in God, because the government's role is actually protection, not provision. They are meant to keep law and order. They are meant to bring infrastructure and safety. And listen, if they can't get that right, how are they going to come into your personal life and sort out your problems? The government is not responsible for your marriage, not responsible for your kids, not, res- not responsible for your success on this earth. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. We do it when we partner with the Lord and we apply His principles. But many of us, we were looking to the government for the answer. I love what The former Bishop of New York, Henry C. Potter, said, and he said it so well, he said, the hope of the nation, the hope of the nation, is not in its forms of government, not in the wisdom and equity of its executives, not in the justice and purity of its administration, although that is important, so much as it is in the elevation and redemption of individual character amongst its people. In other words, it's up to you and I. The way you and I live, if we are integrous people, if we're righteous people, if, we, if we're people of character, that will determine the world we live in. Don't look to the government. Put your faith and your trust in God. Apply His Word and live right, and you'll watch the world change around you. Moving on this morning. Number three, the third excuse that we should never make is this. Don't say the times aren't right. 
And timing is very important. It is. But how many of you know if we use this excuse, we'll use it till the cows come home? It's like those would-be followers of Jesus. Oh, I just need to bury my father. You know, I just need to get through this year. I remember in, in 2020, people saying, I just need to get through this year. Then last year, people saying, I just need to get through 2021. I'm pretty sure there are people saying, I just need to wait until COVID is over. I just need to get through 2022, then I'll make some changes. I just need to find a better job. I just need to earn more money, and then I'll start to give. I just need to feel less stressed out, and, and my life needs to be less chaotic, and then I'll follow Jesus. Good luck with that. I just need the planets to align, and, and then I'll make some changes, you know, when the timing is right. You could wait your whole life. You know, if you wait for the perfect conditions, your whole life could pass you by. When I was younger, I, I had this feeling like I was waiting for my life to start. Now that I'm a little bit older, I'm not that old, but I'm older, I've realized that my life has been happening all this time. But you can wait for the planets to align and, and, and before stepping out, but the conditions aren't always right. Verse 4, it's, the man said, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then he said, While I'm trying to get there, someone else always gets in ahead of me. He was waiting for the ideal conditions. Only when those two things were in alignment, when the angel came and when someone was miraculously there to help him into the pool, then he would be able to see breakthrough. So what he's saying to Jesus is, you know, the timing isn't right for me to be healed. I'm waiting for all these things. Well, he was waiting for 38 years. You know, at the end of the service, we always give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus and get right with the Lord. In fact, we're going to do that at the end of the service. And for years, I used to sit in church and, and think to myself, when I would hear the ministry, I'd think, man, I really need to get my life right with the Lord. Man, I really need to get my, my act together. I really need to start living for God. And then when, when the altar call would come and they'd say, you know, if you, if you know that this is that moment to receive Jesus, just slip up your hand. And I'd be like, nah, nah, too many people here. You know, I'm with my girlfriend. It's Pastor Claire, I'm just mentioning case she watches this later online and says, who, who was that girlfriend you were talking about? I would make excuses. We used to have a conference called Faith Builder. I would say, oh, at Faith Builder Conference, then I'm going to make a recommitment. You know, at that big weekend when we have a guest speaker, then I'm going to make the, that commitment. I mean, you know, you can do that until the cows come home. The conditions are never going to be perfect. Don't make the excuse that the times aren't right because they are never really right. Here's the thing. You've got to get up and get going despite the times. Amen. Isn't it amazing how, despite the pandemic, many people didn't use the conditions as an excuse? In fact, many people started businesses during COVID. There's a couple in Belito who have a, a beautiful furniture business. They make these beautiful solid oak coffee tables and, and dining room tables and chairs, amazing stuff. But during the hard lockdown, that whole industry shut down. Nobody was ordering furniture. Well, they were determined not to become victims of the time. So you know what they did? They started a cookie company. I mean, it's totally different to what they were doing. But they said, you know, we're not going to be victims. We're not going to wait until the conditions are right. We're not going to make excuses. We're going to make cookies. You know, each one of those cookies, and I don't know if you guys have cookie collab here at uh, Santon Campus, but if you ever have one of those cookies, it's about the size of my hand. It's a meal. It's, you know, probably your calorie allowance for the day. Don't let that put you off. The, the cookies are awesome. But each one of those cookies is a reminder to you and I that we can flourish despite the times. Try taking one of those cookies and stuffing the whole thing in your mouth and then saying the times aren't right. I dare you this morning. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 4, if you still aren't convinced, says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. 
Keep on sowing your seed, for you never know which will grow. Perhaps it all will. You know, the principle of sowing and reaping continues regardless of the conditions. Things might slow down a bit. The harvest might not be as large as it would be if the conditions were ideal. But the principle still stands. Seed time and harvest. And if you want to grow spiritually, you have to look beyond the current conditions of your life. The condition of your heart and, and the condition of, 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 of your circumstance or your comfortability or your, your excuses. And you've got to begin to do something. You've got to start sowing spiritual seeds. Oh, but you don't understand. My life's a mess. I can't respond. No, you can Despite the mess, respond to Jesus. Start to, to speak to Him on a daily basis. Start to read the Word. Come to church. Get plugged in. Immerse yourself in His presence. Don't expect the worship team to do it. Let me tell you what you'll be doing. You'll be sowing spiritual seeds, and when you do, you will reap a spiritual harvest, and you will come unstuck. And lastly, I hope you've been helped and challenged today. When it comes to walking with God, because this is what Jesus came and he did in this man's life. He said, get up, pick up your mat, which is a, a picture of his victim mentality. It's a picture of his excuse. It's a picture of his, his, his life of comfort with no breakthrough. He said, pick up your mat and walk. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to walk with him. And when it comes to walking with God, don't say this. Don't say it's too hard. Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. Then the leaders asked, they said, who gave you the order to take it up and start walking? But the healed man didn't know, for Jesus slipped away into the crowd. Notice that Jesus doesn't make a spectacle. He doesn't put on a show. There's no confetti drop. He doesn't leave a calling card. He doesn't have an entourage. And why I mention that is because oftentimes that's what we want before we will take a step with Jesus. We want the perfect song set where we've got goosebumps and we want an international guest speaker who's on fire and who uses props and we want things to explode and there to be confetti and it must be a pumping praise song at the end and then we'll take a step with Jesus. Now, I think we need to learn to keep taking steps with Jesus even in the mundane moments of our journey. A little later, Jesus found him in the temple, which is a good place to be after you've had an encounter with Jesus. And said, you look wonderful, you're well, don't return to a sinning life or something worse might happen. Now that doesn't mean that his sickness or his weakness was the result of sin, but rather Jesus is telling him that if he makes excuses about the condition of his soul, the way he made excuses about the condition of his legs, he'd end up in a far worse position. Now what could be worse than, than sitting next to a healing pool for 38 years and not getting healed? Well, spending eternity apart from the Lord. See, Jesus is more concerned with this man's eternal destiny than he is with his physical affliction. Verse 15, the man went back and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. That is why the Jews were out to get Jesus. You know that this single event, this man going and ratting Jesus out, was the start of the Jewish leader's animosity towards Jesus that would eventually ramp up and result in his death on the cross. But I have to ask, why? Why did this man go and rat Jesus out? Why did he go and tell the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well? Well, many scholars believe that the leaders were so intimidating and the punishment for carrying your mat on the Sabbath was so severe that he did it out of fear. But what we know from Scripture is that after they questioned him, they didn't say to him, oh, you're in big trouble, mister, you just wait right there. No, they let him go. Because the Word says that Jesus found him later on in the temple. Could it be 
that after the excitement wore off, after he had a great morning in the temple, and, and he, was, he was so pumped about the fact that he could finally walk and that Jesus set him free, he realized that now that Jesus had completely changed his life, he no longer had an excuse. No longer could he say, I can't. No one will help me. The time isn't right. No longer could he sit and wait for somebody else to give him a handout or a hand up. He'd have to take responsibility for his own life. Perhaps that was just too hard for him. And so instead he hands Jesus over. You know, when you and I encounter Jesus, he offers us the opportunity to get well. He wants us to get up, pick up our mat, our victim mentality, our excuses, our level of comfort, and begin to walk with him. And then when he heals the condition of our souls, we no longer have an excuse. And many people are expecting the walk with Jesus to be an easy one. And when it gets tough, they say, no, this is too hard. And what we do is we, we're tempted to go back to our excuses. But when we do, you know what we do? In a way, we crucify Jesus in our lives. As we come to a close, Matthew 7 and verse 13, Jesus says this, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. That's the popular gate. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, but only a few find it. You know, church, many people are stepping away from the faith. Many people are looking for an easy Christianity that will excuse their weaknesses instead of the true gospel that deals with our weaknesses. And that's what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He wants to deal with our weakness. He doesn't want to excuse our weakness. You see, when you go to the doctor and you're unwell, the doctor gives you medication or you undergo some sort of treatment, and it's often very unpleasant. Ask somebody who's had chemo or a major operation. It's unpleasant. But it's that treatment that often leads to a, 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 a better quality of life. In fact, many times it saves your life. And when it comes to God dealing with the condition of our souls, many of us, we don't want the treatment because it's uncomfortable and it's unpleasant and God comes to, to cut and prune and, and we go, why are you doing this, Lord? Why are you putting pressure on me? No, no, because He wants to heal the condition of your soul. And when it's unpleasant, we can find it easy to hide behind our excuses. But you see, when God begins to heal the condition of your soul, and we begin to, 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 to step into new things, what we step into is far greater and far more valuable than being stuck at a healing pool waiting for some sort of religious experience. Jesus comes into the house of mercy, and He calls us to get up, to pick up our mat, and to begin to walk with no excuse. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.